you're a guest here with us, a special welcome to you. We're continuing through this series, Prophets, Priests, and Kings, as we look at some passages in the Old Testament that many times we don't stop to think about or even apply to our lives. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. So if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you brought one with you today, go ahead and turn it on or turn the pages and make your way there. We'll be in verse 7, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. Now let me give us some, some context, a running start before we dive into this passage today. See, this is a, a passage where uh, the priest, Samuel, who's been leading and guiding God's people for, for years now, is going to give uh, kind of his last public speech. And anytime you hear somebody give uh, last words, they're always lasting words, right? When you consider these are the last times I'm going to speak to these people, what am I going to say and how am I going to say it? And this is what Samuel is going to do right here. And what we find is this is actually the third time that this has happened for God's people where their leader kind of passes the baton to the next leader and kind of gives a, their last speech, their kind of farewell speech. We see it in uh, the book of Deuteronomy where Moses speaks to God's people and he's given them kind of the last challenge, the last charge to remember who God is and how that transforms and changes your life. And so Moses, his last words, which are lasting words, is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he starts with the word hear or listen. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He's telling us something about our God. There's one God, one Lord. And then he says, knowing that, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And then he says, and these words I command you today shall be on your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. So some of Moses' final words is, listen and know who God is, and then love him with everything that you have. Your thoughts, your strength, your soul, everything that you have, love and worship God. And don't just end with you, be faithful to pour that into the next generation. Teach it, it says, diligently to your children so they would know and they would believe. This is kind of Moses' challenge to God's people giving his farewell speech. And as he gives his farewell speech, he passes the baton to a man named Joshua. And this is the second time that God's people are going to hear from their leader kind of their final words, their final speech. And Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, will make this big challenge and says, choose whom you will serve this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A huge challenge. Know who the Lord is. And as you see him and know him, then love him. But there's no middle ground. So choose who you're going to serve this day. The Lord or your idol. The Lord or yourself. Choose this day. And there's a challenge with a belief in who the Lord is attached to it. Now what we're going to find in 1 Samuel chapter 12 is that Samuel... As he passes the baton and gives his farewell speech, he's going to do something very similar. He's going to take some of the ideas that Moses gives and some of the ideas that Joshua brings, and he's going to bring them together and call for an action. So let's look. We'll start in verse 7, and we'll go through verse 9, and we'll pause and unpack it, read a little bit more, unpack it, and then we'll finish the chapter by the time we're done today. All right, verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 7 says this, Samuel speaking. He says, now therefore, speaking to the people, now therefore stand still that I may plead with you 
plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. Now, verse 9 is a sobering verse. It says this, but they forgot the Lord their God. Let's pause right there. And let's even pause right now to make sure that we're remembering the Lord. And let's pray before we unpack this passage today. Pray with me. Merciful and patient, Lord. We thank you for your word that we are reading this morning and unpacking. Because your word is perfect and it refreshes our soul. God, we praise you that your commands give us wisdom and offer us joy in our lives. God, your word is more to be desired than mounds of money or even the sweetest of appetites. Lord, would you help us to hear your warnings today and keep your word that we would find deliverance and redemption from your gracious hand. Lord, teach us your word now. Now let me invite you to pray something similar, that God would convict you, encourage you, strengthen you through his word this morning. Pray that in this time of silence. Lord Jesus, you are our rock and our redeemer and our king. So we ask you in your grace and in your mercy that you would convict us today, that we would change. God, that you would comfort us today, that you would change us. Lord, would you do all of that through the power of your spirit and through your word, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, a few things I want us to grasp about God in this passage. And each one of these things that shows us something about God is going to ultimately change something about ourselves, apply to us directly. And the first thing I want us to grasp is this, that God relentlessly pursues his forgetful people. God relentlessly pursues his forgetful people. Samuel is going to plead with the people Did you see that? In verse 7, he says, stand still. In the busy pace of life, going from one thing to the next, even the people at this time, he's saying, just pause. Just plant your feet and stand still and listen to the word of the Lord just for a moment's time. Would you listen to what the Lord says? And then it says he pleads with them. Samuel, who's been their leader for, for years now, is begging them, he's pleading them, and that word plead is, is showing there's a passion in his heart, there's a fervor, that what he's about to say is extremely important, that what he's about to say, he's wanting us to, to grasp and understand and know and allow it to transform our lives. So he's pleading with them. Now what is, what is he telling them to pause and to listen to? What is he pleading with them to, to hear and to understand? It's the righteous deeds of the Lord, verse 7 tells us. These righteous deeds of the Lord that has pursued God's people 
over and over again, even though God's people have forgotten him. See, he's going to point their minds back to remember. In verse 8, he says, hey, remember Egypt. Remember Egypt. These people will be like, oh yeah, we remember Egypt, what happened? It seems like, if you don't know, God's people were enslaved. They were impressed. But what happens is God's people cried out in prayer to the Lord, and the Lord heard their cry. He heard their prayer, and God answered them, and he pursued them by sending Moses and Aaron. He pursued them. Now, Egypt and Moses and Aaron, this is, this is important. It's important for these people to understand at this time, but it's important for us to understand as well. He's saying, remember, remember how God used Moses at this time to be the deliverer even to people that had forgotten him. And God didn't just rescue the people out of the oppression, out of slavery that they were in in Egypt. Remember how God led them through the wilderness. It was was a miracle. God provided a cloud over their head so that they didn't get sunburned in the middle of the day when they were out in the desert. And then at night, they would put a pillar of fire there so they would have a nightlight. So they needed to get up and do something at night. They had light even at night. I mean, this was God's miraculous power to provide for them and to lead them and to to pursue them, to show him who he is, a God who loves, a God who provides, a God who is near. He's showing them that. But it didn't even stop there. As he tells them to think back to Egypt and to think back to Moses and Aaron, as God led them through the wilderness, he provided for them food. Manna that fell from heaven, which was like a Krispy Kreme donut. It's the way it's described, right? Not Krispy Kreme, but sweet bread that tastes good, right? He gave them that. And then he gave them quail to eat when they were hungry. And they provided water from a rock. God did amazing things to provide for these people. On top of the miracles that he did to get them out of Egypt. Out of the slavery that they were in. But then you come to verse 9. That sobering verse again. But they forgot the Lord, their God. Verses like this are some of the saddest verses in all the Bible to me. How could we forget a God who has done so much for us? All of these righteous deeds that he did to provide and to care for and to pursue his people. And yet, they forgot the Lord their God. And the crazy thing on top of all of this is God warned them that this could happen. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God told them, You shall remember, remember, don't forget it, you shall remember the whole way. That the Lord your God has led you. Don't forget him. And then verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8 says this. Take care. This is a warning. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. This was before everything that had happened. Before we get to this point in 1 Samuel. God has told them, do not forget me. Do not forget me. And what we find over and over again is that we are forgetful people. That we are forgetful people. See, this is not just a story about the people of Israel. This is the story of humanity. It's the story of your life and the story of my life. Even as Christians, we even when we're we're doing well and we're steadfast, our, our affections still 
fluctuate. There are times where we might be thankful to the Lord, but not as thankful as we should be. We forget so many blessings that God has given us in our day-to-day life. This is a story about your life and my life. We, we are forgetful people. Yet God is faithful to pursue us in our forgetfulness. Amen. Here's a man that some of you may have heard of, Robert Robertson. It's a great picture that you'll see right there. He was rocking the the mullets with the perm long before it made its comeback uh, here recently. He came to, uh, to know the Lord back in the 1700s under George Whitfield's preaching. And you may not know that name, but you sang a song earlier that he wrote years ago in the 1700s. Uh, it's Come Thou Fount. Now what's interesting about this is this is what he actually became famous for was this song. And it starts and it says, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. Now that Second line is one of the most beautiful lines in any hymn that we've sung. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. The reason why is because the picture that it's giving is that our heart is out of tune. Like a piano that's out of tune or a guitar that's out of tune. And so he starts the song in praise asking God, would you tune my heart, which is out of tune. My heart is tuned to forget. My heart is in tune to rebel. My heart is in tune to sin and and leave you. And I'm asking you to tune my heart to be able to sing of your grace. And the next two lines say this. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for loudest songs of praise. These are great words. These are rich words that he's writing here. But sadly, what we find is in history, later, Robertson forgot the Lord. One account, one biography written about him said that he gave his life away to frivolous habits. He gave it away. And one moment in his life, he was riding in a stagecoach, which would be like our uh, modern day Uber pool, where you get into a car full of people and you go to different destinations across the city. And remember at this time, the 1700s, they didn't have, where they have pictures of everybody on internet where they can look and know what they look like. And so this one woman gets in this Uber pool, and she's riding around, and she's talking about how Jesus has given her hope and joy and peace and comfort, and all these songs that God has used to stir her heart. And one of the ones she kept going back to and talking about was, Come Thou Found. And Robertson, as he's sitting across the stagecoach from her, is getting more and more agitated as she talks about these different songs. And so after she talks about his song again, he stops her, and he says, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy soul that composed that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings that I had back then. Man, that is a sad statement. It's a tragic statement. The reason why is because he had forgotten the Lord. And he had forgotten to take his own advice. Later on in that hymn, he would write and say, Oh grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to thee. Let your goodness like a fetter, let your goodness like chains, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. 
You see, what we read in 1 Samuel isn't some historical story in the past, though it is, and it's true. It is our story that we, just like Robertson, are so prone to wonder. We're so prone to wonder for the Lord that we love. Oh, that we would take his advice that he gives us in this song, although he didn't, may we take it and say, God, would you chain my wandering heart to you? Would you give us life? Because this is what the goodness of God does. Though we are prone to wander, though we are prone to forget the Lord, the good news is our God is full of mercy and he races to meet us and to bring us back to life. That's what our God does. That's what we're seeing in this passage and we'll see even more as we continue to read it. From an application that I would make for us as we think about this, that we're forgetful people. Let us, let us break the cycle of forgetfulness in our lives. Let us break the cycle of forgetfulness in our lives. You see, what led the the people at at this time to to forget the Lord is the same thing that leads us to forget the Lord. We get to a place where we feel like we're doing pretty good. We've received all these blessings from God. He's blessed us in so many different ways, we get to the point where we're like, you know what, I got this. I'm doing pretty good. Got a good bank account, got my family together, everything's going right. Like, we start becoming dependent on ourselves and no longer depending on the Lord. Our dependency on the Lord actually wanes. What takes its place is an arrogance. An arrogance of self-dependence starts to creep in. May we break that cycle. And one of the most practical ways that we're going to break that cycle of forgetting the Lord is through prayer. Church family, this year, 2023, we have focused on praying. Growing our prayers in, in, in deeper ways. Praying longer prayers. Even being intentional to fast and then use that time as a reminder to pray to the Lord. We've challenged that. We are three months in to this year. If you look back and your prayer life has not changed over the last three months, then maybe you're forgetting the Lord. Maybe you're forgetting the Lord. God has called us to remember him. And one of the primary ways we remember him is we stop, we be still, and we pray to him. If you want to wean yourself off of your own self-dependence and trust in the Lord more, then pause and pray to him. Guard those times. She would pray. When we pray, we remember the Lord. It keeps us from forgetting. I'd encourage you as you pray too to journal your prayers. At least I find in my life there are many times where I've journaled prayers and then I've kind of walked away and I've forgotten and I've moved on and I've completely forgotten that I even prayed that prayer. And then I open it back up and I'm like, oh my goodness. God heard and he answered and it stokes in my heart praise and gratitude But too often, we'll pray something and we'll move on and God's faithful to answer because he does not forget, but we forget him. We move on and we pray and ask for something else and we never pause to praise him. Samuel is calling God's people to pause and remember what God has done. Look back. Church family, look back. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. 
And so when we read passages of God's great miracles and his great provision, our God works and provides in amazing ways. The same God that is here speaking at this time in 1 Samuel, the same God that speaks today. Oh, if we want to stir our hearts to, to be filled with praise and remembrance, then may we pray. May we journal those prayers and praise God for his faithfulness to hear us when we pray. To hear us when we call. And this leads us to the second point. God graciously delivers his rebellious people. See, we're going to see in these next few verses that I'm about to read that they're going to cry out to God. God hears their prayers and he graciously delivers his people from their rebellion. So let's pick it up again in verse 9 and then we'll read several more verses. It says this, But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against him. And they cried out to the Lord. They prayed to him, right? They're crying out to him. And he says, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asherahs. Those are the idols at that time. We talked about idols just a couple weeks ago. You can check out that sermon on our website. But now, deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord hears their prayer. And he answers. He delivers them. Look what verse 11 says. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Barak, Jephthah, Samuel to deliver you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw Nahash, the king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, no, no, no. But a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord... And serve him and obey his voice and not, keyword, not rebel against the command of the Lord. And if both you and your king who reigns follows the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see the great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking yourselves for a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord. The Lord sent thunder and rain, and the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. All right, let's stop right there for a second. Let's unpack these verses that I just read. Because all of this, all of this we are finding the great grace of our Savior. The great grace that pursues rebellious people. Not just the good people. Not just the people who think that they're good, right? But all of us. The rebellious people. And it tells us that he's going to pursue us and even graciously deliver us. And one of the ways he's going to do that is through pain. This is not something that we think of often, but in verse 9 it says that the Lord graciously uses pain and brings it into the people's life so that they will see him again. That they'll remember him again. That they'll be convicted of their sin and they'll turn to him. And that is God's grace that he would take us through an earthly hell to keep us out of an eternal hell. There are times that God wakes us up by crazy things that are happening around us that we will look to him again and, and say the very things that they said. 
They cried out to the Lord. Look at verse 10. They cried out to the Lord. What did they cry out to the Lord? What did they cry out? Did they cry out and they say, give us prosperity again? Like we remember the good old days that we had. Would you just give us prosperity? That's what we need, God. No. That's not what they asked for. Did they cry out and say, God, would you just give us political peace again? Would you just bless our nation? Please, God, would you do that? No. That's not what they cry out to the Lord. What do they cry out to the Lord? We have sinned. We've sinned. Because we have forsaken the Lord and we've worshipped idols. They cry out for the one thing they know they need most. More than political peace, more than the daily comforts of life, they know they need the Prince of Peace and the God of all comfort. Sin is keeping them from their God, so they cry out in confession of their sin. They're praying, God, forgive us. And they confess that they have forsaken the Lord. That's interesting. It's a little word change, but it's an important one. Just a few verses earlier, it says that they had forgotten the Lord. But now on verse 10, it's like they have forsaken the Lord. First, they forgot God, and now that apathy has grown into abandonment of God. They've forsaken him. And God, through this pain in their life, they now look and they see and they're like, man, everything that we were pursuing, everything we were running out of was empty. All these idols that we were pursuing, the Baals and the Asherahs, they were empty things. They could not satisfy us. They couldn't fill us, fill us up. They couldn't fill our soul. But that's what we were pursuing. And what's great is when we get there, we'll get there in a little bit, but you can look on the screen now. Verse 21, it tells us, he warns us again, and do not turn aside after these empty things that cannot profit and they cannot deliver, for they are empty. Those are all those idols. We just talked about it. The idol of power, the idol of comfort, the idol, we went through a whole list of things just a few weeks ago. All of those things, we we tend to raise up in our life, and these people realize in the midst of their pain and their suffering, man, all those things are empty. We are not self-sufficient. We desperately need the Lord to forgive us of our sins. So they cry out to him. They cry out to the Lord. Now this is the beauty and the grace of our Lord. Verse 11 says that he hears their prayer and he answers and delivers them. He delivers them. And he doesn't just do it once or twice or three times. He actually does it multiple times because he's a patient God. But Samuel brings to their mind three real quick. He talks about Jerubbabel. This is another name for Gideon. You may have heard that name in the Bible. It's back in Judges 6. God uses this man to deliver his people. And we're told of Barak's adventure in Judges chapter 4 and 5, where they overcome Sisera. Jephthah's journey in Judges chapter 11, all this is prior to this time. And what he's doing is he's like, hey, don't forget what God has done. And even though you forsake him, God will still deliver you just like he's done in the past. Now, this is really important for all of us to grasp and to understand. 
just because God is gracious and he delivers us when we rebel against him is not a license to sin. It's not a license to continue to do the things that are wrong over and over and over again. Our God is gracious, and he does hear us when we cry in our sin. When we cry out in our rebellion, he hears our prayers. But may we not be foolish people that continue to come back to those empty things. May we not be foolish people that we come back to the, to the same thing over and over again, we're like, yeah, it's empty. And we go, I mean, God fills me up. Oh, no, and I'm going to go back to this thing. Oh, it's empty. May we not be fools. May we listen and return to the Lord. I love how Proverbs 26 describes it. It gives a very memorable and visual illustration of this warning of going back to the things that are empty. It says this, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. That's gross. I mean, any of you have been around a dog and seen that, that's just nasty. And yet this is the illustration that God's word chooses to use to describe us many times. As we rebel against God and try to work our own way, try to do life the way that we want to do it, not the way God designed it to be, we're like a dog that returns to its vomit. We're fools. Samuel's telling the people here, it's my final words, my lasting words, do not return back to folly. Repent. Change. And hear me, there's a big difference between remorse over your sin and repentance over your sin. Vast difference. Remorse is very self-centered. Oftentimes remorse comes when you got caught for something. So you got caught and now that you're caught, you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have did that. And honestly, you feel bad more that you got caught than the thing that you did. That's what remorse looks like. That's not what God's word is calling us to do. God's word is calling us to repent. Which instead of being man-centered, it's God-centered. Where we look and we're like, we know that our God is a holy God, but he's a gracious God who's pursuing us, who's running after us as we leave him and forsake him, as we rebel against him. And we look and we're like, you're a loving God and we don't want to run against you. We don't want to run after these empty things. We want to run to you. So God, help break the chains of the things that we're addicted to. Break the things that we're loving more than you because they're empty things. They can't satisfy us. And so repentance is confessing your sin and turning from it. Turning from it. This is what this is calling us to do. Repent and trust in the Lord. Not try to manage our sin. Sin management is really hard. It's a really difficult thing, and it will exhaust you. So often we try to do it. You can think about it like this. Last summer... Uh, my kids love the pool. They love swimming out there, and they love being thrown into the pool. So after I'd probably spent, I don't know, five, ten minutes of like shoveling kids into the pool, like I'm just getting tired, right? And so my kids were like, please throw us again, throw us again one more time. I said, you said one more time three times ago, right? And so I was like, okay, this is what we'll do. If you can take this basketball and you can swim it down to the deep part of the pool and hold it down there 30 seconds, a minute, then I'll, then I'll keep throwing you. And they're like, okay, okay, let's do it. So they, they get the, the ball, and they're, they're trying to go down there, and they, they can't do it, right? My wife even came to me afterwards. She's like, that was kind of cruel. And I was like, hey, 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 they took the deal, right? And so they're down there, and they're trying to do that, and it's popping out. It's just continuing to explode out of the water, right? This is a picture of what we try to do when we manage our sin. 
We try to take the sin in our life that we're battling with, and we're like, it's okay, I can hide it. I've got this, God. And so we push it down in our life, and we can hold it for only so long, right? We can hold it for only so long. And then what happens when you let that ball go? In the water, does it like gently come to the surface? <laughs> no. That thing explodes out of the water. Many times it's in our face. And that's what happens with our sin when we try to manage it. When we have remorse instead of repentance. Instead of looking to God and saying, God, I can't do this. I can't manage my sin. I can't coddle my sin. I need you to come and to take it away. And so we pray and we look to God and say, you can do what only you can do. I can't do this. God, would you help me? And what we find the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, comes with a pocket knife, and he pokes that, that basketball, and he pops it. And though we might still struggle with our sins, we are no longer a slave to our sins. We're no longer chained to those things anymore because of the grace of Jesus to pursue us and do what we could not do on our own. So church family, let us, let us repent of our sin, not just have remorse, repent of our sin and find deliverance through Christ. This is what the people at this time are seeing and confessing and looking to the Lord to forgive them. And what we find is the goodness of the Lord to forgive them in the next several verses, verses 19 through 25. So follow along as I read this last section this morning. It says this, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Verse 20 is a key verse through this entire section and honestly to the entire book of 1 Samuel. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. And do not turn aside to empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people. <laughs> Amen, right? The Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. With all of your heart. For consider, consider, think about what things he has done for you. But if you will still do wickedly, you should be swept away, both you and your king. The last truth I want us to grasp today is that God faithfully transforms his redeemed people. God faithfully transforms his redeemed people. See, in verse 19, there's a statement, and it's a very important statement as well. The people realize that their sin deserves death. And so they pray and they say to Samuel, you're the priest, would you pray on our behalf that we would not die for our evil, for our sin, for the wages of sin is death. They see what many of us need to see. And it's this, that our obedience leads to a destination. Always, our rebellion, our forgetfulness, our forsaking the Lord has a destination. It has an end. And that end is destruction. The end is destruction. And so the people realize that, and they're confessing their sins before their Lord, to the Lord, and then they come to Samuel like, hey, pray for us as we're praying to the Lord. And then Samuel responds to their request in verse 20. And this is a confusing verse. 
It says, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. What? Like, this week I'm looking at this, I'm like, is this a misprint? Shouldn't I say, be afraid, you've done all this evil? But it says, do not be afraid, you've done all this evil. What? How in the world does that work? We've done wrong, our God's a holy and just God, and yet it tells us not to be afraid even though we've sinned. What in the world is he talking about? See, the hope that we find, the hope that we find, the answer to why we shouldn't be afraid even though we've done evil comes in verse 22. It's because of who the Lord is. This is why we're not fearful. It says the Lord will not forsake his people. Why? Verse 22, for his great name's sake. What does that mean? (laughs) This is our hope. What do do you mean for your great name's sake? You're the Lord. You go back to the book of Exodus. If you remember that guy, Moses, that we talked about earlier, he's going to go and help deliver God's people because they had prayed to God. And Moses looks to God and he says, all right, they got a lot of gods. They got a lot of gods in Egypt. And so you're going to have to give me your names when I go in and say, hey, God is pulling these people out and delivering them and rescuing them. Which God is it? They're going to know. Is it one of these ten? And if you remember right, if you've read the story before, Moses, I imagine, is just there and he's like got his pen ready. He's like, the name. I don't want to forget it. Let me write the name down. And the Lord's just like, I am. All right. I got I am. What's next? Just tell him I am sent you. Okay. Now that statement of I am is a, is a massive statement showing how God is self-existent and needs nothing. He just is, right? So he goes in, Moses does, and he tells the people, man, I am has sent you. The Lord, that's what it means, all caps, Lord, is I am. But later on, in the book of Exodus, God comes again to Moses. And this time it's on the heels of people's sin, where they've hit rock bottom, they've been worshiping idols. And God is speaking to Moses, and he's like, hey, Moses, hey, you remember when I told you I am? Yeah, yeah, I want you to, to, to write down a little bit more. And this is what it says in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. What does that mean? He's explaining what it means that he's the Lord. God is explaining what it means to be I am. This is his namesake that delivered the people in this time that Samuel's talking about. And this is how he describes it. The Lord passes before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, I am. I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But I am he who will by no means clear the guilty. This is him explaining what his name means. This is why when we get to Samuel and he says, man, for his namesake, he forgives us. And people should go back and be like, what's his name all about? It's right here. He's saying, I am. I am the Lord. I am merciful and gracious. I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I am faithfulness. I am steadfast in my love to thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin, and yet I will by no means clear the guilty. This is not one of those verses that's a head scratcher. 
God, you're saying you're going to forgive us, and yet you're saying you will by no means clear the guilty. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that, God? When this is a shadow of what is to come, for those of us that stand on this side of the cross, we see it so clearly. How is God going to do that? How is God going to be both holy and just, gracious and good? How is he going to do that? He is going to stand in our place. Though he was innocent, though he never forgot the Lord, though he never broke a command, Jesus was going to stand in our place. And when we read in 1 Samuel that it says the Lord will not forsake you, you know why we know he'll never forsake us? Because he was forsaken on our behalf. Jesus hangs on the cross dying for our sins, our transgressions, our iniquity, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said it so that we would never have to say it. He felt it so we would never have to feel it. This is the goodness of God. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And Samuel wants us to grasp that and to understand that. Because of the Lord, because of his great name, because of who he is, he will not forsake us. How? We've done evil. Look in hope. For them, look in hope to the Messiah who's going to come and to be your sacrifice. And for us, we look back with faith and hope, knowing that he did it. And what Samuel's going to do to end this whole last speech that he has is in verse 24, he's going to say, consider Consider what great things he has done for you. And so as we close today, this is what I want us to do. I want us to consider the great things that Jesus Christ has done for us. Consider this. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, shows up on earth being fully God and fully man. He lives the perfect life without rebellion, without forgetting, without forsaking the Lord. He lives the perfect life. And yet he goes to the cross to pay the wages of our sin. Death and destruction. Jesus paid for that on our behalf. And if we confess him as Lord and we believe in him, then he will stand in our place. Consider that. Consider this. The Bible tells us that Jesus, what he did for us was he didn't just bear our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 says he became sin on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Praise God for that. Consider this. Consider the, the righteousness he offers us in our wickedness. He is willing to impute, to give us his righteousness, even though we don't deserve it. And we, we cannot earn it. Consider this. The changing, transforming power of the good news that Jesus invites us to receive. It transforms us from rebels to redeemed. It transforms us from guilty to pardoned. It transforms us from sinners to righteous. It transforms us from enemies of God to children of God. This is the grace of God who pursues us. And if you've never gotten to the point in your life, you've never got to the point where you admit that you aren't just a person who makes bad decisions, that you aren't just a mediocre person that needs to be a little bit better so you need a little help of Jesus, but you are a sinner in need of a Savior, then would you confess that today? Would you confess just like the people did at this time? Lord, we have sinned and we've done this great evil. You see, Jesus is ready to receive you. Well, I'm, re I'm a rebel. So are these people. I've forgotten God. So did these people. I've forsaken God. Yes, so did they. And God met them with his grace and his mercy. Do not be afraid, even though you've done all this evil. 
And if that's you today, you haven't taken that step, do it today. And it's, it's simple, but it's miraculous. Would you just admit, admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? You can't do it on your own. You'll never get to God. That's why God came to you. And would you believe Would you believe that somehow when Christ died on the cross, it counted for you as you confess your sin, knowing that he will forgive it because he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins? And then would you confess him as Lord of your life? Do that today, and his grace will rush to meet you. His mercy will bear you up in his arms, and you will find forgiveness. You'll find fullness. Look to Christ and believe today. Bow your heads with me. If you haven't prayed that prayer ever in your life, then do it right now. Stop pursuing vain and empty things that cannot satisfy and come to the Lord who desires to forgive and to fill. Not just to give you temporal life, but eternal life. This is something he promises to you. He promises it. So come to him in prayer now. And for those of us that are believer, let us, let us consider what he has done for us. What we were and how he's changed us. How we maybe at times try to manage sin and we need to confess our sin right now. And allow the cross of Christ to remove our sin as far as east is from the west. This is what God desires for us to do when we read passages like this. Respond to him as our Lord and our Savior. So may we do that. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us, that when we forgot you, you never forgot us. When we were faithless, you remained faithful. God, when you weren't even on our minds, Lord, you came and you died for us and our sin. You bore the wages of our sin and death. Thank you for that. And now out of a grateful heart and a grateful mind, Lord, we sing to you songs of loudest praise because you have rescued us. God, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church family, let's stand now. We're going to sing a song called Promises. We're going to hear from some of the, the names we read in this passage and how God was faithful to promise the, uh, things to them. and He was faithful to answer. And so we remember today his ultimate promise that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ as we sing these songs and praise him. Let's do that now. <laughs>